I, I felt welcome just coming in. The greeters just did an excellent job. My, my, we felt so welcome that I thought my son was going to sit with us during the service, but he said, no, I want to go in the kids' area. So, you know, you guys are doing a great job when the kids actually want to go into the kids' area. Um, my wife is not here. She's uh, holding down the fort back at Epic Church, uh, overseeing the kids' ministry. Uh, we also have a, a three-year-old. My seven-year-old is with us today. Um, my, my wife, her name is B. She is, I'm 6'5", she's 4'11". Um, so you, you can't tell me that God doesn't have a sense of humor. I really believe he brought us together. Um, but she wanted to come here. Uh, maybe next time she'll come down. So if, if it's cool with you, I'm just going to dive into our subject for today. I heard I have two hours. Is that, is that right? No, 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 no. I, I, I'll keep it short. I, I heard if you keep it short, you get invited back, even if it's bad. So I'll make sure to keep it short. Um, but in our short time together, I will share a bit of my story. And you guys have been in this uh, series called One God, One Story. And you've been looking at how the story of the Old Testament and the people of Israel, even though it was written centuries before Jesus, you guys have been looking at how all of that story points to him, points to Jesus, and how that story, story is relevant to us today. And what I love about the idea of this series is that throughout uh, history, God has been writing a story he has been writing a story, and you and I have a supporting role in that story. Jesus, of course, is the main character, but we get to be a part of it. We're really like extras, right? We can't even call ourselves supporting actors. Um, but you, you, you see the story that God is writing, and we get to play this awesome role in it. And, and so it's hard for me um, to talk about God's story without sharing my story because my story revol revolves around his story. So I'm going to teach, and long ago I made this commitment that the only messages that I would teach were the ones that first impacted me, right? The, the ones that um, had this thread that pierced me first and, 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 and was, came alive within me. So um, I'm going to teach, and, and I, my goal, though, is that I, what I believe is that the best kinds of stories are not just the ones that are heard or, 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 or um, listened to or learned, but it's the ones that you experience. So I hope you will experience the story of God uh, today. So today we're going to be talking about Moses. We're going to be talking about the people of Israel, uh, God's favor and his presence and how all those things come together. All right. So at our church in, in San Francisco at Epic, we have this value. And it says that God's favor, God's favor is what we want most. God's favor is what we want most. And this has been a value for us since the very beginning. And, and I started going to the church um, Early on, I went to the first preview service that they had, but I didn't know the team, so I wasn't there when they set this value. So this value for me has taken on a life of its own. The meaning of it has changed. What, how I saw God's favor has completely changed over the past couple of years. And so I had some assumptions about what God's favor was, and they were wrong. So I want to talk to you about some of those assumptions and then show you how Moses and the Israelites viewed God's favor. So for starters, all right. I used to equate God's favor only with his blessings. I used to equate God's favor, God's favor only with his blessings. If you have a church background, you especially know what I'm talking about. How many of you thank God for his favor when you get that close parking spot in front of the store entrance, right? God's favor, right? Um, in the city, I don't know if you guys deal with this here, but on street cleaning days, if you have to move the car because there's street cleaning, if you could find a parking spot in a minute, you, you're about to speak in tongues because God's favor is like all over you. You, you just feel it. How many of you are bargain shoppers, right? Bargain shoppers? I, I love finding a good deal. 
You find that good deal, that's the favor of God, right? You get the raise or the promotion, the favor of God. It's like whatever good is going on in your life, you accredit it to the favor of God. Now, with that view, when you take a look at the story of Moses and the Israelites, it's not possible for you to walk away without saying that they were highly favored by God, right? If you just look at their story, God did some amazing things to deliver them out of slavery from Egypt. And we're not talking about close parking spots. No, we're talking about some plagues that, that brought the Pharaoh and, and all of Egypt to his knees. We're talking about the parting of the sea, which allowed for two million Israelites to get to the other side. We're talking about bread, miraculous bread, manna from God that fed all of the people of Israel. Some amazing things. So in my eyes, God's favor equals God's blessings. But here's the thing. Here's the danger of that view. It's that with that view, what, if you just take the, the flip side of it, just turn it around. If I believe that I'm favored by God when he blesses me, what am I to think when I don't see his blessings? If I believe I'm favored by God when I see his blessings, what am I to think when I don't see them? Naturally, I'm going to think that I no longer have his favor. How many of you have ever felt that God was mad at you or abandoned you because something bad happened to you? Or because you prayed for something and you didn't receive it? And you're like, what have I done to be on God's bad side? Why do we think that? that, that that's not at all a biblical view. And, and honestly, guys, if you judge your standing with God based on how good or terrible your life is, you will always be a mess. Because you will always see, it's all going to be based on your perspective of your life. You will never have any type of security in your relationship with God. And I used to live that way. I used to live like if things were going well, I'm like, man, I'm, I must be killing it for God. I must be doing well. I'm, I'm staying pure. I'm staying holy. I'm walking white, right. I'm doing the things that God wants me to do. But when things would go bad, I'm like, God, what am I doing wrong? What's wrong with me? And that was my view. And I want you to hear what I am not saying. I'm not saying that there is no connection between God's blessing and his favor. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that there's something much more going on that we need to look at. So God's favor doesn't only just equal his blessings, but also something that I had to learn about God's favor is that it reveals more about him than it does about me. God's favor reveals more about him than it does about me. I don't know why, but favor has a weird way of causing one to believe, or at least me, to believe that because someone does something good for me, it's because there is something special about me. Because someone does something good for me, it means because there's something special about me. One of the definitions for favor is that it's the giving or receiving of preferential treatment, right? So we would say in our culture, in our society, that celebrities or athletes are highly favored, right? They receive preferential treatment because some might say is because they are gifted, they are special. There's something about them that makes them far beyond the average person. Another, by the way, another definition for favor, it's, it's that it's the approval, support, or liking of someone or something. So, for instance, we might say that we favor, for, this is a terrible illustration, but we favor a piece of legislation, right? We, we approve it. We support it. And if you take those two things, it's like we, we show preferential treatment because we support or we approve of a person. And that's the kind of view that we, we take with God. So when I look at Moses and the Israelites, if I were one of the Israelites during that time, 
I would think, this is what I would think based on this view. We are a special group of people. Look at all that God has done for us. I haven't seen him do anything like this for anyone else in the world. And anyone else in the world. I would say we are getting special treatment because we are special. Let me give you an example of this. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you the moment that I discovered that I was special. Okay, I was six years old. I grew up in, um, in low-income housing projects in Newark, New Jersey. Okay, some of you guys might know the airport in Newark, but do you know the city? It's a, it's a, it's a pretty rough city. Um, but I grew up in housing projects in Newark, and one day I was outside uh, playing by myself. I don't know what I was doing outside in the projects at, at six years old by myself, but I, I was. Um, and if you could just imagine these huge brick buildings around me, I'm playing, and as I'm walking, I, I, I take a moment to look up at the sun when I notice something strange. I notice something strange, and I take a few more steps just to confirm what I'm seeing, and then it, hit, it hits me. The sun is following me, and I think, I am special because if the sun is following me, it can't be following anyone else. And honestly, guys, my mind is blown at that moment. I am, like, amazed at, I'm like, who am I? Like, who, who, I am this gifted person. My mind was so blown away until my sisters, my three older sisters got a hold of me and just cut me down to pieces. They're like, Will, you are not special. The sun isn't following you. It follows everyone. Honestly, guys, I don't think I've recovered but I thought I, I thought I was special because I was experiencing something that no one else was experiencing. But here's the thing about favor. I, here's the thing about favor. Shouldn't favor in a greater way reveal that in, actual, in actuality there's something special about the person showing you favor more than it reveals something about you? Well, let's be honest. Favor, favor makes us feel special. Receiving praise from someone makes us feel special. Gifts make us feel special. Recognition, people seeking us out for advice, that all feels good to us. It makes us feel good. But what happens, what happens when God begins to use you? When, when he actually gives you a platform, when he begins to give you resources and a voice beyond you would have ever imagined? What happens when you be begin to climb the corporate ladder, when you begin to excel beyond your peers? In those moments, where does your heart turn, to the gift giver or inward? Am I receiving this because I'm special or is there something about him who's allowing me to experience all these things? Where does your heart turn? This view believes that we can earn or that we are deserving of God's favor, but it's only by grace. Two assumptions. Two assumptions. But now, I want to show you what was most important to Moses and the Israelites. It wasn't the blessings. It wasn't this desire to know that they were special. No, it, it, it was something else. It was something else. And I believe that if we can grab hold of this today, that it can put our hearts and lives in the right place so that we can live at peace with God and do more for his kingdom. So we're going to take a look at Exodus 33. If you have your phone or your Bible or the, the scripture will be on the screen as well. We're going to be in Exodus 33. We're going to read two short passages in this chapter, verses 1 through 4 and then 12 through 16. 
All right, Exodus 33, 1 through 4. This is what it, what it says. And then we're going to jump down to verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up, and out, you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you, because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. Verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name. And you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, another translation says, if I have found favor with you, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? Thank you. What else will distinguish me? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the people on the face of the earth? Exodus 33. So the first thing that we see at the beginning of Exodus 33 is that God's plan, God's plan to keep his promise to the Israelites is going gonna, is gonna to come through. It's going to be fulfilled. God tells the people through Moses, I took you out of Egypt where you were slaves. I took you out of Egypt where you were slaves, and I plan to give you the land that I promised you and your forefathers. This is a promise from long ago, and I'm going to do it. He's making it clear. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fulfill the promise for which I called you out of Egypt. Here's how, verse 2 and 3. He says, I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. He says, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. I don't know about you, but at first glance, this seems like a good deal. This seems like a good deal. We were slaves in Egypt, but now we get our own land. A land that is currently occupied with many different nations, but we are going to defeat the inhabitants that are there now. And by the way, not only are we going to get the land, but it's a good land. It's a really good land. That's what flowing with milk and honey means. It's a prosperous land. So check this out. God is offering them two things. He's offering them power. Power. To defeat the inhabitants and wealth, milk and honey. That's a sweet deal. Power and wealth. But here's the ironic part. While most of us would have been ecstatic, it says that the Israelites were in mourning. They were mourning. Here's why. The second part of verse 3. But I will not go with you. I will not go with you. Because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and no one put on any ornaments. Did you guys know that was in there? He says, I, I can't go because I might destroy you. God's, God says, I'm not going. I will give you what I promised, but I can't go. And he's not saying this arbitrarily, right? He's not saying, hey, I'm not going because I'm tired, right? Uh, you know, he's not calling them stiff-necked because he's having a bad day. 
you need to read chapter 32, all right? In chapter 32, it's, it's where we see the Israelites rebel against God. It's, it's where they make a golden calf. They make an idol to replace God. So here's what God is saying in chapter 33. He says, I can't go with you to possess the land. Because if you pull another stunt like you did in chapter 32, there won't be a chapter 34. Like, it's done. It's over. So they have the promise of power and wealth, right? They have the guarantee of God's blessings. But lacking the presence of God, the people are at a defining moment. How did they respond? Did they proceed casually? Mm -mm. No. Through their mourning, the Israelites show us what was most important to them. To them, having God's favor wasn't just about having his blessings. Power and wealth wasn't enough. It wasn't everything to them. But let's keep going before we get to the what was. I mean, we already know, right, the idea of the presence. But So not only wasn't it everything for them, it wasn't what made them feel special. The blessings weren't everything, and it also wasn't what made them feel special. Um, unfortunately, if given the same proposition, power and wealth, but no presence, the power and wealth would have been enough for most of us because those things tend to give us value. Power and wealth tend to give us value. Or to take an Old Testament word, it brings us glory. Glory. The Hebrew word, hear this, the Hebrew word used for glory is kabod. It, it originally has the meaning of weight or heaviness, weight or heaviness. But it, all, it is also used to describe worthiness or significance or importance. Our closest English equivalent is matter, matter. Right? Matter is something that takes up space and weight, and it can also mean that something is of importance. Guys, you and I, we all want to matter. We all want to matter. We all want to feel like we are special and unique, that we have weight, that we take up space in this world. So we all seek after our own glory. Some of us are after professional glory, artistic glory. Some of us are after creative glory or financial glory. We want people to say that you are the best at what you do. And when people do say those things to us, we feel like we come alive. That, we, that who we are and what we do actually matters. That it gives us weight and significance. And what we are dealing with here, it, it, what we are seeing in the people of Israel is identity. It, we're, we're talking about identity. What distinguishes you from everyone else in the world is what makes you you. It's what makes you special. It's what makes you unique. That's where your identity comes from. Here's what we need to ask ourselves. What are going to be the distinguishing markers that we pursue in our lives? Is it going to be power and wealth or something else? Where are we going to find our identity? Where are we going to find, where are we going to link up to so that we can truly matter in this world? I want you to hear what Moses prays to God. Hear it again. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me? And with your people, how will anyone know that we have found favor in your sight unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth if you don't go with us? 
Moses prays. Moses prays, God, we don't want the power and wealth and the land that you are offering us. Not if it means that we don't have you. Power and wealth might be significant distinguishing markers for others, but not for us. Moses understands that the glory of power and wealth will fade away. That it might cause you to feel like you matter for a moment, but that's it. It's just for a moment. Moses would say that the true mark of God's favor is in you going with us. That's the mark that we want. That's where we want our identity to be rooted in God being with us, in his presence being with us. Before we move on, let me ask you, where are you going that God isn't going? Where are you going that God isn't going? If God isn't going, why would we enter that relationship? If God isn't going, why would we work for that company even if it pays more? Why would we live in that city or country if God isn't going to be there? I, think about it this way. I, I understand why sometimes we go. Because many times it is easier to go than to stay. And, and look, let's look at it from the point of view of the Israelites. It would have been easier for the Israelites to possess the land, right, even if God wasn't going, than to remain nomads in the desert than to remain wanderers in the desert, even though God wasn't going to be there. It seems easier to enter a relationship that we know is not good for us than to remain alone and lonely. It is easier to move to another city where housing prices aren't outrageous than to stay in the Bay Area because you believe God wants you to make a difference here, even if it's a small difference. It's easier to go. My, my wife and I, we talk about this quite a bit. And... Um, Less in the past couple of years, but we've, we've been here seven years, but we were only supposed to stay for two years uh, while I finished my degree. But we're going on seven years in August. And guys, it, it, if we moved back to Florida where our extended, extended family lives, date nights would be a breeze, right? If for those of you who have kids, it would be every week and free, which is my favorite way. Um, we could pay a fraction of what we pay in housing for what we have now. We would have happy grandparents, a beach that we could actually swim in, right? And on and on and on we can go. And we've talked about this over and over again. It seems like it's just a conversation we have every year. We have resisted the temptation to run back because it's a temptation. Because we know that God is here with us. He's here with us. We both, we both have this feeling that if we go back, we will be miserable because God is not there. And whenever I feel like I, I need to move back because the pressure is too much or I just miss my family, I go for a week and I'm like, no, God's not here. I got to go back. I, I, just feel, I just get that sense. I, I, I don't know how to describe it. I want to be where God wants me to be. I want to be where his presence is. So is there somewhere that you plan on going, but God isn't going with you? Is there a relationship you plan on entering into or a decision you plan on making, but God isn't in it? Think twice before you move. And I, and I want to encourage, encourage you with the flip side of it, with the other side. If God is calling you to do something hard, do it. Do it, because if, if God is calling you to do it, he will be there with you. Even if it's hard. Even if it takes sacrifice. Step into it. In verse 17, God says to Moses, 
I will go with you as you have asked because I am pleased with you. Or as the ESV translation has it, you have found favor in my sight. God's favor is what we want most. But not because it means that I receive his blessings or because it causes me to feel special. No, but because it allows me to have access to the king, to live in his presence. And what a sweet presence it is. Favor allows us to have access to the king, have access to God, have access to his presence. And that's what we should want more than anything else in the world. Paul, uh, not Paul, David in Psalm 37, he says, one thing I have asked of the Lord, one thing I have asked to to, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to be able to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire into his his temple. He says, I just want to be with God. I just want to dwell in his temple. I just want to spend time with him. Um. I, I didn't grow up in a, in a Christian home. Um, it wasn't until I was 18 years old that I began to seek God and to learn more about him. And it was at 18 that I was at a critical point in my life. Uh, I, I just felt like this massive loser. Like, I, I just felt like my life wasn't heading anywhere. Um, I, I had skipped the grade uh, in my ele- elementary years when I lived in New Jersey. And it wasn't because I was this prodigy or anything. Or It, it was just because... Um, Again, growing up in low-income housing, I had a somewhat stable home. Both of my parents were there where all of my peers were just dealing with um, their parents being either in prison or drug addicted. So I was able to excel far beyond where they were, again, not because of something special within me, but just because of the conditions that we were in. And and I had that that home that I could go back to. And so I skipped the grade, but by skipping a grade, it it just kind of put all these expectations upon my life that, I would actually make something of my life, that I would become something. And, and, um, and because I did so well with great ease in, 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 um, in school, they thought my becoming this person that they had imagined would, become, would, would be relatively easy as well. But after moving, after graduating high school at 16, and then four semesters later only having one passing class I I got a B in music and I failed every other class life was at its lowest for me like I my future was just it just seemed hopeless it seemed hopeless and it was in that season that I started hanging out with my wife who was just a friend at that time and started seeking God and, 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 and trying to learn more, but I felt like this hypocrite whenever I went to church. It, 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 it just felt like I was going through the motions. And so I finally went to a youth retreat, and at that retreat I said, God, I just need to know that you're real. I can't, I can't just go through the motions like this. I just need to know that you're real. And it was at that retreat where just God's presence just overwhelmed me, just engulfed me, and just surrounded me in a powerful way that I knew my life had been changed from that moment forward. It was so overwhelming, so tangible. I just knew everything was going to be okay and that I mattered. Circumstances hadn't changed. Nothing had changed. But there was purpose in my life for the first time ever. 
And I've never let go to that moment. And I constantly seek, not that moment, but I just seek the God who touched me at that moment, the presence of God. I want to know him more and more. I want to experience him. I want to live for him. I want to please him. That's what I care about the most. It's not the blessings. Talk about God's favor. I shouldn't be in Silicon Valley speaking to people about God who are much smarter than I am. I don't know how we ended up in San Francisco. I grew, I'm telling you, I, I grew up with nothing. I grew up, I don't know why I'm sharing this, but growing up in a four-bedroom apartment where my mom paid $90 rent and there was this, this roach infested and, and just so much wrong going on around us. I can't believe I am where I am today. And I don't know, but God has a purpose for my life. So much of our salvation, so much of our salvation and experience with God is built around this idea of God's presence being with us. So much. But some of us, too often we just go oblivious to it. One of the names found in the Old Testament that speaks of the Messiah, which is Jesus, is the name Emmanuel. Right? We've all heard that name, especially around Christmas. Emmanuel. What does it mean? God with us. God with us. God taking on the form of humanity and dwelling amongst humanity. God being with us. Jesus. So you have that, but then when, when Jesus was crucified on the cross, it says that the veil in the temple was torn in two, right? The veil was torn in two. The veil is what covered the holy place, the place where God's presence dwelled. And only the high priest could enter the most holy place once a year, once a year. But Jesus changed all of that. No longer was there this barrier between us and God, but you have direct access to the presence of God. Direct access because of what Jesus has done for you and for me. But also Jesus told his disciples before he was crucified that it was good for him to go back to the Father. Because the Father would then send a comforter. And the comforter is the Holy Spirit of God, which God has given to everyone that has placed their faith in Jesus Christ. So God is no longer just dwelling amongst us. He's no longer just Emmanuel, God with us, but he is living inside of us. He is in us, no longer just with us. He is in us, giving life to our mortal bodies through the Holy Spirit. Do you know that God's presence is here today? He has been here since the moment we began to lift our voices to him. The scriptures say that God dwells in the praises of his people. God's presence is here. There's a song, I believe, by Jesus Culture. Um, I believe it's called Holy Spirit. And in one of the bridges, uh, she, they sing, let us become more aware of your presence. Let us become more aware of your presence. I'm just going to ask you, if you could make that your prayer this week. God, let me become more aware of your presence because it is all around us. God is with us. He is in us. And if, if today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, favor is not something you earn. It is something that is graciously given to you when you put your trust in him. God Make each and every single one of us more aware of your presence. Let me pray for us. 
Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word, God. I thank you for the experience that the Israelites and, and Moses had and how your love and your compassion, it just shows, God. Even though you said, I can't go because I might destroy you, even in the end, you said, I will go because you have found favor. You had mercy on them. And because they showed that what they wanted most was your presence. It wasn't the blessing. It wasn't another God. It wasn't to feel special, to feel like there was something unique about them. But they knew that the greatest distinguishing marker that could be upon their life was your presence. And God, I want that for myself, and I want that for each person here, because I know it makes a difference. As, as it made a difference for me that first moment when I was 18, how your presence overwhelmed me. I knew everything was going to be okay. There's some situations that people are in today that are challenging and difficult. I, God, I pray that they will find comfort in your presence, that you bring peace, relief, you bring joy. And I pray that each of us this week will seek you and, and ask, God, will you make us more aware of your sweet, wonderful, and awesome presence? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The band's going to lead us.